When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey everybody, it's Jamie here from The Smart 7. Uh, we're not here today with our normal episode because it's a bank holiday and we're having a bit of a rest, but we've cooked up a bonus episode. It's a sample of our new weekly science podcast, The Science 7. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Uh, if you do, please go and follow it in all the usual places and we will see you bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at 7am tomorrow for your regular Smart 7. Happy Easter. In three, two, one. Seven things you didn't know, you need to know. I'm Paul Connolly and this is the Science 7. This week marks the 71st birthday of giant of science Steve Sasson, who in 1975 invented and then built the world's first digital camera whilst working at Kodak. Coming up on this week's episode, space wine, mind-reading machines, snappy evolution, and loads more. But first... The European Space Agency has breezily announced that a massive space rock around three football fields in length is no longer on a collision course with Earth and that we can all, you know, breathe easy, at least for now. I don't know about you, but I was blissfully unaware that an asteroid carrying the energy of approximately 3,300 megatons of TNT, or in the region of 60% of the world's nuclear weaponry, was headed straight for us. But thankfully, someone was alert to the potential risk. Detlef Koshny is head of the ESA's Planetary Defence Office. Apophis is, is an asteroid, and we call asteroids objects that orbit the sun, just like our planet, only they are much smaller. This one is about 350 metres in size. And the exciting thing is it will come very close to the Earth in 2029 on Friday the 13th of April, and it will actually come so close that you can see it with the naked eye. Sounds a little too close for anything even approaching comfort, doesn't it? But how sure, as in really sure, are we that Apophis is going to sail right on by? My job is to make sure that we are aware of all the objects that could potentially hit us. And close means it's somewhere between us and the moon. In this case, actually, it is about a tenth of the distance to the moon or even less. The good news is we are absolutely certain that it will not come any closer. So the the distance in kilometers, it's about 30,000 kilometers. We know that to a few kilometers accuracy. Detlef goes on to tell the Science 7 that the change in Apophis's course was, he believes, down to a phenomenon known as the Yarkovsky effect. Now, in short, the sun heats an asteroid to such an extent that it radiates that heat, and then that acts like a rocket thruster of sorts, which alters the course of the object. Now, on the off chance there's other asteroids with Earth in their crosshairs, I then ask Detlef if, well, there's anything else we need to be concerned about. Turns out there is, and quite a few of them at that. There are other asteroids which could possibly hit our planet. I call them threatening objects. Now, I can tell you that we currently have 1,143 objects in that list. The good news, again, is most of them have a really, really small chance of hitting our, our planet, like one in a million or even less. 
Detlef politely dismisses further inquiries about Hollywood blockbuster-inspired extinction events, the kind that wiped out the dinosaurs, for example, and tells me that should a supermassive asteroid be on its way, don't panic. The space agencies of the world have a plan. For larger objects, and that now I can quantify larger than 50 meters in size. There is an international working group endorsed by the United Nations that will then study possibilities to deflect an asteroid. You can actually send a spacecraft to the asteroid. The easiest way is what we call the kinetic impactor. You hit the asteroid with high velocity with your spacecraft, and that pushes it a tiny little bit. It gives it a tiny little push. If you do this early enough, you can deflect it enough from its course so that it will not hit our planet. That's actually something we're testing together with the American colleagues. They will launch at the end of the year 2021 a mission called DART, and Europe will send a probe to see what happens after the impact, and then we can measure how much we can deflect this asteroid. Far from being known as a restaurant worth visiting at the end of the universe, the International Space Station, or ISS for short, is hardly known for its culinary delights or indeed its selection of fine wines. In fact, alcohol of any kind is banned aboard the ISS, as are glass bottles, for obvious reasons. But last year, an exception was made for 12 bottles of exceptional French wine, which, until very recently, spent a year in orbit. It was all part of an unlikely but fascinating experiment aimed at discovering how the chemical composition, and in turn the colour and the taste, might change whilst in space. My name is Nicolas Gaume and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Space Cargo Unlimited. So it's all started with, with this realisation that gravity is a very important parameter of life. It is in fact the only parameter of life that has never evolved since life exists on Earth. So when you remove it, it creates an immense stress a stress that creates, accelerates, and generates natural evolutions. Naturally, you can't fly any old bottle of plunk into space. So what wine was chosen, and why that one, literally, above all others? We really wanted to have a great one from Bordeaux, being from Bordeaux. We wanted one that would be part of the Grand Vin, of the, the most well-known wines because of their quality, and which shows Petrus, and a particular Vintage 2000, uh, because Petrus is actually a very interesting uh, great one that is quite different from all the other great ones from Bordeaux. It's nearly a single grape. Uh, so it makes the study of evolutions and the impact of absence of gravity uh, easier than, than, than uh, you know, blended wines, which is typically what you have in, in Bordeaux. And the Vintage 2000 was a mythical vintage, but it's also a very good and very well-structured wine. Once back on Earth and cracked open, some of the world's most finely tuned palates got to sample the now unearthly booze. But was it any different? So the answer is yes, it has changed in, in terms of taste. We could see differences in color. Uh, the space one had like lighter brick coloring. Smelling the wine was nearly identical, but drinking the wine, tasting the wine itself also showed clear differences. Each of the, the various uh, tasters had a you know, slightly different vocabulary and expression, but I, I thought it was a little more fruity uh, than, than, than the earth wine. We have uh, already enough, enough conclusive evidence today that uh, the wine has evolved differently. Nicholas tells me he also stored a vine plant on the ISS, one half of which stayed on Earth. And when the two were reunited, something remarkable happened. 
they were exposed again to different conditions and specifically the absence of gravity. And then when they came back, we rehydrated them and, and then we planted them, uh, both the ground control and the space vine plants. And they really start growing significantly faster. When I say significantly faster, it is really significant to the eye. I mean, you could see that uh, two weeks in, we had like uh, five uh, leaf on the uh, space uh, plant where the, the, the earth controls of the identical uh, twins initially uh, were, were like having the beginning of one leaf. By surviving the absence of gravity for such a long period, as the vine plants were exposed to space for 10 months, we, we do believe that the plants will gain a resilience that will make the plants uh, more capable naturally to face lesser stresses and specifically the stress of climate change. You're listening to The Science 7 from the people that bring you the Smart 7 podcasts. Now, we've all seen people stoop to the silliest of things whilst apparently in a hypnotic state, most likely at the hands of a magician of some kind. Quacking like a duck, roaring like a lion, crying like a baby, you know how it goes. These are all standard issue humiliations, and in all fairness, it can actually be good for a laugh. But the question of how and indeed why hypnosis changes the way our brain processes information remains something of a mystery. So solving said mystery was the task at hand over at the University of Turku in Finland. Jarno Tominen, senior researcher at the Department of Psychology and Speech-Language Pathology, explains how they went about it. The focus of our study was to investigate the changes in brain dynamics that accompany what's termed as neutral hypnosis. Now, neutral hypnosis refers to a situation where we only give a hypnotic induction without any specific hypnotic suggestions. Okay, I'm with you, mostly. Go on. In this study, we used what is known as a post-hypnotic induction, meaning that we could switch between the normal waking state and the hypnosis using a single word cue. We carried out this research using a single subject design, meaning that we only had one participant who had been extensively studied before and can reliably have, for example, vivid visual hallucinations. Being the honest and ethical sort that he is, Jarno acknowledges that conducting research of this kind on just one person does make it difficult to say for sure if what they discovered is a one-off or if the same results would be observed in other subjects. But nonetheless, it's incredible. Our main findings were that while this person was under hypnosis, the dynamics of her brain activation changed. So in a normal waking state, what happens is that different brain regions usually share information with each other to coordinate the internal state with external input or the outside world, so to say. Now, during hypnosis, this process is altered. So the activation is more segregated and the various brain regions are no longer similarly synchronized. But it was striking already to see from the raw data while we were carrying out the research, how you could see the changes following the single word cue in the brain activity of the person. I was not expecting it to be so vivid a change. Tinkering with the mind via hypnosis is one thing, but new research at the California Institute of Technology has revealed that not only can mind and machine be merged, but those machines can now actually read our minds. The technique is referred to as mapping neural activity to potential behaviours. 
and cracking the code is a major goal for neuroscientists in this area of expertise. In part because, look, honestly, I wouldn't know where to start, here's Sumner Norman, a postdoctoral fellow at Caltech, to walk us through the science. The central focus of our latest study was to push the limits of ultrasound imaging of the brain to find out what is it really capable of. Our lab designs brain-machine interfaces, or BMIs. BMIs use signals from the brain to control external devices. We've already used these BMIs to give people with severe paralysis the ability to move prosthetic limbs or control a computer cursor with nothing but their thought. Taking that research to the next level is more complicated, Sumner tells me, but the results can be life-changing. To get really high levels of control, we rely on electrical recordings, and that requires surgery to implant electrodes directly into the brain. That means that these BMIs are really limited to a pretty select group of people that have severe paralysis. Not only do you need a high-level spinal cord injury to be eligible for one of these devices, you really have to be willing to be a pioneer in BMI development and research. So our patients are really inspiring from that aspect. Now, if that wasn't enough, the next piece of this puzzle is mind-blowing. We developed a new ultrasound imaging tool, and this tool can find brain activity that predicts the intention of its users. This advance in imaging was made possible by a new type of ultrasound invented by our collaborators at Inserm in Paris. This is called functional ultrasound, or FUS for short. FUS can image the brain with really pretty incredible resolution, down to about 100 microns, and that's smaller than the width of a human hair. Okay, so that's the theory and the toolkit to do it. But what happened when you set the FUS loose? In this study, we taught non-human primates to complete eye and hand movements, and meanwhile we collected ultrasound data from the posterior parietal cortex, or PPC, region of the brain that's involved in movement planning. Next, we aim to see if changes in the FUS images could be used to decode the movements of the animal even before they initiated the movement. Incredible. Machines now read minds. A very significant move towards what some see as the holy grail of neuroscience. Ultimately, we showed that it's possible to predict what the animal is going to move, their eye or their hand, the direction they were going to move, and when they planned to make the movement, all using only signals from the brain. This single-trial decoding is the first step towards a brain-machine interface. Three! Crocodolphin. No, that's... No, okay. Dolphocroc. No. Croc... Crocodilodolph? No, and this is... That's rubbish as well, isn't it? Mm. No. Since we at the Science 7 heard that millions of years ago, crocodiles could have had dolphin-like characteristics, well, that particular portmanteau has been swimming around my head non-stop. But look, never mind me, it's just one small element of a groundbreaking news study. My name is Tom Stubbs and I'm a senior research associate from the University of Bristol, based within the Earth Sciences School. The study was something of a joint enterprise between Tom's team and scientists over at Harvard University. Now, the focus of our work is actually on crocodiles and their extinct ancestors. And crocodiles are an amazing group for exploring these ideas about changing biodiversity. And this diversity is actually quite low if you compare crocodiles to some other groups. For example, the closest living relatives of crocodiles are the birds, and there's actually 10,000 species of bird around today. So, what's changed and why? The fossil record of the group goes back 230 million years. 
and includes hundreds of fossil species. Many of these ancient crocodiles were unlike crocodiles that we see today, particularly during the time of the dinosaurs. So we looked at the entire fossil record of crocodiles and their extinct ancestors. The key finding of our research was that crocodiles once flourished on land and in the oceans because of fast evolution. So during the time of the dinosaurs, some crocodiles experimented with dolphin-like adaptations and they lived in the oceans, whereas others lived on land as fast-moving plant eaters and insect eaters. See, told you. Dolpha crocs. Yeah, anyway, time for a conclusion. Our other key finding was that crocodiles, alligators and gharials, and these are the only living examples of crocodiles, are actually more conservative than these extinct fossil groups, and they've evolved more slowly over the last 80 million years or so. As a parent, it can sometimes be difficult, can't it, to keep your cool if your kid or indeed your kids are misbehaving. The potential impacts of harsh parenting practices on the future well-being of children have, of course, been examined closely from a psychological point of view. But bright minds at the universities of Montreal and Stanford have uncovered actual physical evidence that repeatedly getting angry, hitting, shaking or yelling at children harms their development. And it's all in the mind. Researcher Sabrina Soufren has the details. The central focus of the study was the link between persistent level of harsh parenting during infancy and cerebral anatomy in youth. Serious child abuse such as sexual, physical and emotional abuse, neglect have been linked to anxiety and depression later in life. Previous studies have already shown that children who have experienced severe abuse have smaller prefrontal cortex and amygdala two structures that play a key role in emotional regulation and the emergence of anxiety and depression. Sabrina tells me that the team did indeed prove that in the subject studied ongoing psychological abuse forced physiological changes. The key finding of the study was that the size of the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex were smaller in youth who have repeatedly experienced harsh parenting in infancy. I think what is important is for parents and society to understand that the frequent use of harsh parenting practices can harm a child socially, emotionally, and his brain development. I didn't expect that coercive action could make such a difference in the development of the brain. This is The Science 7, a new weekly podcast with me, Paul Connolly. The Big Bang Theory is a cornerstone of theoretical physics and of cosmology, and has brought us everything from the God Particle, or Higgs boson, believed to appear in the nanoseconds following the very creation of our universe, to the ultimate question. If God doesn't exist, then what sparked the Big Bang in the first place? But what we rarely consider is that the universe has never quite fully recovered from that gargantuan explosion and is still expanding outwards in all directions. What is it expanding into exactly? Well, look, nobody knows for sure. But now we do at least have a better idea of its speed of travel. The startling discovery that we live in an expanding universe was made a hundred years ago, but it has been much harder to pin down exactly how rapidly this expansion is occurring. Astronomers refer to this expansion rate as the Hubble constant. The Hubble constant is one of a handful fundamental parameters of the universe. It is key to understanding our cosmic fate and what the universe is made of. Cosmologist Chung Pei Mao is the Judy Chandler Webb Professor in Physical Sciences at the University of California, Berkeley. 
We obtained new data with the Hubble Space Telescope for these galaxies and used the technique called surface brightness fluctuations to determine each galaxy's distance from Earth. Surface brightness fluctuation measures a galaxy's light distribution amongst its many stars, and from that, a distance from Earth is calculated. Now, there are exceptions, of course, such as when stars explode in a supernova event. But in most cases, the brighter the stars, the closer the galaxy. The key finding of our study is the value of the Hubble constant, which we determined to be 73.3 with uncertainties of plus minus 2.5. That's 73.3 kilometers per second per megaparsec, by the way. And one megaparsec is equal to 3.3 million light years or 3 billion trillion kilometers. So, safe to say then that our universe is expanding rapidly. Very. These new findings have, however, caused a brewing controversy, as they contradict estimates made about how quickly the universe expanded following that Big Bang 13.8 billion years ago. Some anxious astronomers even consider this tension to be at the level of a crisis in cosmology. One way to reconcile the two different values of the Hubble constant is to introduce new physics. For example, to modify the law of gravity, or to introduce new interactions among elementary particles. So, not exactly a tweak then, but Professor Chung-Pei Ma says there is a solution on the horizon and in the stars. The James Webb Space Telescope, which is scheduled to be launched in October this year, may hold the key to unlock this mystery. That's it for this week's Science 7, but we'll have a fresh episode for you next Sunday at 7am. In the meantime, remember to join me every weekday morning for the Smart 7 Ireland edition. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.